Welcome to the Human Design Collective Podcast, where we explore this system as a map of our unique potential, from the mundane to the mystical. If you'd like to dive deeper into your design, we invite you to our Living Your Design Workshop, meeting in March 2022, with recorded material available upon registration. Rave ABCs begins April 1st, 2022, as a 10-week exploration of circuitry and the basics of hexagram structure. For more information, go to courses.humandesigncollective.com. Today, we're pleased to welcome back Barbara Ditlow, a 2-4 self-projected projector and longtime human design analyst, coach, and teacher. Barbara is a gifted listener and highly skilled in guiding her clients both personally and professionally. In today's episode, we explore projector relational dynamics, her work with cult interventions, as well as her perspective on the current world situation in 2027. We hope you enjoy the conversation. You might be feeling well, welcome back, Barbara. We are thrilled to have you back on the show and to get to talk with you again. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. We found that we had, after speaking with you last time and talking with a lot of different students and people that we've been working with, that we had such positive response from the last conversation we had with you. And people just were really inspired by your view and your, your unique perspective. So uh, we wanted to have you back on because we started noticing there was sort of a pile of things that we were getting curious about. We'd love to start with this question about projectors. Mm-hmm. There's a video of Ra discussing the way that he saw that projectors would really need to kind of understand their own kind together and sort of help each other sort themselves out. So we were curious about hearing whatever patterns you see or what your view is on not just the projector type, but the differentiation of the different kinds of projectors and what the specialty of each one might be. Um, Mm -hmm. You have anything to say about that? We'd love to hear. So much of the specialty of a projector is really related to their motors. You know, are they emotional? Are they egoic? Or do they have a defined root? Because this is going to change the frequency with which they experience the world. So if I look at the emotional projector, I have found they're very different because timing is so important to them. And a projector, I think oftentimes is very impatient very impatient because they need recognition. The fundamental existential question that they have is not, am I going to have an invitation or who are you? I think before any of those two questions, it's really is, will anyone recognize me? I need to be seen. You don't recognize me? So internal recognition first and then external recognition later. And I think for most projectors, they get it mixed up. They want that external recognition first before they even know if it's correct for them. Mm -hmm. Who are they? What are their limitations? And I think the beauty of gate 60 in human design is the gate of limitation. And the acceptance of limitation is the first step to transcend the limitation. So that should be on every mirror, a morning mirror of a projector. Mm -hmm. They have to accept that they're not someone who has enormous energy to go out and really change the world because mutation comes through a generative type manifesting or generator. They carry the frequency that can bring the mutation in. Projectors are guides, they're midwives, they're people that are there to observe. And once they know someone recognizes their unique gift, then they can take time. The emotional projector has to take time to feel out whether or not this is the right time or is the right recognition, and then they can move forward. And the reason I say a big differentiation between the emotional projectors from the non-emotional is that oftentimes not understanding timing or the wave pattern. Are they in the source? Are they in the spike? Are they in the crash? Are they in the tribal? You know, how does that wave work? They can work against themselves because they're not aware that the person looking for their guidance can amplify their wave. Mm-hmm. And if the timing's off or if they're really up, people can expect that they always have to be up. There's nothing worse than a projector that's really down on the wave. <laughs> I mean, pulled with the 6124, constant pressure to know the truth, they're on the wave. That can be a very heavy situation for a projector. So in sorting projectors out, it's the most diverse of all types. 
So it's understanding that timing is very important for that emotional projector. They have to understand how their wave pattern works. They have to have the internal recognition. They may not be in the mood and maybe they're more tribally connected. So their work and guidance is more within a group. It could be even touch in some way, or it could be, they could be more individual where they're expressing their music, you know, playing their music or, or speaking with that 1222 mutative voice, or there's someone who's a guide on an experience, you know, outward adventure and they're planning it and they've got all the experience. So they've got to understand how that emotionality works because it is so powerful. I have many projector friends and boy, are they different. And then depending if they have three motors, they identify as manifesting generators. They just move out there. Now, what's very interesting is that you can be a projector with the 5539. Now, that's probably one of the most difficult projectors that there are because it's under pressure right now with mutation gate 55. And so those people have to know that they can be very supportive in terms of guiding people through the transition that we're in now. But again, it comes internal recognition first. The other projector is, let's say, the mental projector. Mental projectors are the ones that feel like lost the lottery. Their life is over. Oh, my God, they hate themselves because it appears they're all open except for the differentiation. But as they have this internal recognition of this amplification quality that they have, and depending on the characteristics that can be emphasized with their relationship with other people. They're incredible in the wisdom that they can provide people in their own personal journey, but it's cooler. They're not going to be dynamic. They're, they're cool. They're still, they're still. <laughs> so they have to realize that certain people who are out there have to be ready for their guidance. And there's this client that I have as a projector, as a school teacher. She's the one who's always solving problems for people because the way that she's with people, she gets the bigger picture as an amplifier of what's really going on and sees it from a very different perspective. And then we have, John, I think you're an ego projector, right? Yes. So with you, you're a profound initiator. You know, people come to you and you're able to be that crazy alchemist who kind of can help people take that leap into the unknown. And that's your specialty. Mm -hmm. That's what you're really gifted with. And so we know there are 7 billion people out there, that they're people that need the initiation. They can have other people following, but you have the ability to impact people, to pull them from a collective viewpoint and initiate them into a very individual exploration. Of, okay, I'm going to leap into the void. I'm not comfortable with it, but let's go. And that's what you you can be superb at. Why? Because you're imprinted with that. Mm -hmm. You can do it. You can withstand the shock of, okay, what reference point do I have to give them? You know, so whenever I talk to people who are doing plant medicine, I said, make sure someone who has a 2551 is sitting next to you, <laughs> guiding you, because you're able to, when everyone else is in shock and disorder, you're like, okay, well, this is what we need to do. There's a cool and calmness. Mm -hmm. So it's very different than the emotional projector. And then we have the classic projector. I'm a classic projector. That's very cool. And it's one that, you know, and we're not even going into motivation, you know, how we're motivated, but it's very cool. And it really has to wait. The classic projector it has to wait for that invitation to see how the guidance is going to occur and who it's going to occur with. And is the person too emotional? And then do you have to breathe? So the key thing about, I'm going to say, the power struggle within the projector dynamic is there's evolutionary aspects to the soul that's incarnated into the body, you know, the design crystal, because human design is an evolutionary reincarnational body of knowledge. We really don't know the soul. And, and Ra talked about that many people are incarnating that haven't incarnated before. So there are a lot of young people, you could say out there, they don't have the deeper wisdom. So within projectors, bitterness is very consuming. So I've noticed a power struggle where it's like, I need to be successful. You're taking from me. I need to be successful. So you have projectors that are now taking on the mantle of a guru. I can guide you. I'm the power. And they don't realize they're not the power. 
they're the friggin' guide. So get over yourself, get <laughs> over yourself, you know, and get out there and do your best and then let it go. But when you're so desperate for that recognition and you're so desperate to be seen, all of a sudden you begin to feel you're special. And that becomes the groundwork for a cult. That's when people develop a following. They sit on nice pillows and wear white and say, I know something about yourself that you don't know. No, everybody knows who they are. They just have to awaken to it. And so sorting out projectors and Rao was very clear. He said, projectors basically said they're a mess. It's going to take him a while to discover who they are. So I would say it's a struggle for success. And yes, projectors have to sort them out because I'd say, you want to be initiated in human design, see John, because there's a a frequency that will impact you. And a lot of projectors can't do that because they feel it will be taken away from them. And I think the beauty of a projector, once they wake up and they're they're aware of their gift and their limitation, then the fear goes out and they can be very open and share because they know who comes to them, has to have that frequency, that energy, and then they can go to someone else. So yes, projectors, they have a dilemma because they're so in need of recognition and then to be invited by the right people. So that's how I would answer that question at, the, at one level. Yeah, thank you. This piece about internal recognition that you mentioned, are you framing that or seeing that in the context of the deconditioning process of coming to see what we are in terms of living our design and then what we're not in terms of the conditioning and how we're influenced? Is that what you're... Yes, because the deconditioning process provides a projector for an awareness of, oh my God, I was acting this way. It's incorrect. It's working against my true design. So it's it's the deconditioning process and realizing the incredible power of the conditioning process, which Ra calls the not self, but it's very seductive. Oh, it's so juicy. When for a moment you feel you're that manifesting generator. <laughs> You're feeling good. So it's very seductive. And that's what I'm referring to. Yes, John. What do you see in terms of how projectors can help each other? You know, how different the dynamic can be among projectors versus interacting with the other types. When projectors interact with each other, they have to remember fundamental axiom of human design. It's about your uniqueness. It's not about comparing yourself to others. You put comparative thought on the shelf. You can compare computers, you can compare manicures, you can compare coffee, but not the essential nature of yourself. When you understand that each person's unique and we all have our fractal and people that we're designed to connect to, it's written, then you let go of the competition, let go of the competition. And then there's an open sharing. You're not trying to maneuver up the ladder and be better than another projector. I have found. The projectors out of fear, they just end up not welcoming deep conversations with other projectors, particularly if you're human design analysts. They can feel we're all in competition with each other, and it's not. We're all in collaboration with each other to help the world become more aware of the need for the unique individuation of each person to express themselves. I just sense that. And I've observed that over the years. Yeah. We've also discussed a certain kind of dynamic that can happen. And of course, there's resonance and and fractal and and just whether or not you can see each other just because two people are projectors doesn't mean that they can actually really recognize each other. But Mm -hmm. if that recognition is there, we've been noticing this experience and I've seen it many times in my life of there being able to be this dynamic sometimes among a group of projectors where it's almost like if there's enough resonance, there can be a group of us that start to function almost like a, an organism together. And that the magic of that is something that I find really unique to being with other projectors, maybe just because it seems that each person that's involved is kind of tracking the others. There's this kind of mutual tracking that's going on. I think that opens the door to be able to work in concert in a way that is very energetically different. I know as a mental projector, it's put me in a position to find that there's actually access to different kinds of energy and movement that I'd certainly don't have by myself. 
Mm -hmm. And that doesn't feel the same when I'm with an energy being who so Mm -hmm. clearly has a dominance. If you're in a group dynamic with projectors and they're all in sync, it's more of a passive rather than an active energy. So the relaxation of the need to accomplish something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's as though you're watching what unfolds. And when there's not an action oriented conversation, it just keeps going deeper and deeper and deeper and new insights bring a depth to the conversation that you wouldn't have with an energy type. It's just a different form of energy. And the insights that come from that can be very profound. Because if you look at leaders, if you have a weak leader, you have a weak country. But so many of the leaders that we've had, if, whether they're army or whatever, they're energy types. You're saying, what are you reflecting on? Have you really thought this through? You know, what's the wisdom? You know, so projectors in a way, they're waiting for the deeper insight that can fulfill their feeling of success in that conversation. And I do feel that when projectors are in sync, you begin to see new insights into yourself. Because if you think about it, that we learn from projectors, learn from the people that were around, we have a a mutual group of projectors, a mutual deal. We're going to learn from each other. We're not going to compete with each other. So the, the projectors have to be fairly evolved in the sense that they're not competing with each other. You're wanting to jump in and move it. They're just kind of waiting, as you said, Amy, this kind of organic revelation of a deeper truth that just uplifts the whole energy field. Yeah, we were recently uh, at a gathering where there was about maybe 10 projectors that were kind of hanging out doing some activities together, but just mostly just kind of hanging out, talking, sharing the space. And there were two energy types. There were, well, there was a manifester and then there was a, a generator who was kind of coming in and out of the group. And what was really interesting was to see the differences and to also kind of frame it from the point of view of, say, the, the manifester, the generator, being in a group of projectors of that size kind of being the minority in the group of projectors that size, maybe for the first time ever to, to their awareness or knowledge. And, and they were, they were tripping. I mean, that's the, that's probably the simplest way to say it. Like, Whoa, what is going on here? This is, this is what you guys are about. And, and they, they both kind of came away and was like, you know, I think I learned more about projectors in, in this space than I had ever really had the opportunity before. So yeah, it was really neat. That's interesting. I have um, 22 nieces and nephews, and I'm closest to two. They're both projectors mm-hmm. because the conversations and the way we talk, it's not superficial. It's just very deep. So I can see that they probably thought they were in a, aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or they're like un, 50 feet underwater or something. It's sort of like a different planet. Well, funny. So we wanted to get to also hear about this history or this um, study that I know you've had in terms of cults and in terms of the kind of patterns that show up in those kind of formations, especially given, you know, what's going on in the world now, but also in terms of any of these sort of different kinds of teachings that are out there that are on the fringe of society. Human design has certainly been sort of exploding in recent years, but we'll occasionally have people who will say, you know, is this teaching a cult? Is this a cult? Is human design a cult? Mm-hmm. And, and then obviously we have a lot of things going on in the bigger collective, but we wanted to get to hear if you could share with us about what is a cult? How do you, how do you recognize that kind of dynamic emerging in a group, big or small? It's a good question because you don't recognize it. That's the key. If you recognized it, then you wouldn't be drawn into it. But we've had the cult, Jim Jones, uh, the Kool-Aid. He was a CIA operative, but that's another story. So I was in a cult for several years, and then I was trained by Herb Rosedale, the New York Family Foundation, and with Dr. Kumarande. And I was able to really, because I'm a two, four, so I I can flip. So I deeply was immersed for several years. And then I deeply flipped out of it. And the way that I flipped out of it was very profound. There were signals that were coming to me that I didn't want to accept, but I had made 
and this is the key, if you establish your life based on seeking the truth, then you will see the truth. If you're looking for comfort, if you're looking to be known, if you're looking to have a certain position in society and truth is not a foundation, you will be susceptible to cult manipulation. Now, I had a very profound mother. She was tough. I had perfect attendance through school because if you were sick, you still went to school. It was you buckle up, baby, and you get out there and you show up and you perform. But she always said, know the truth, know the truth, know the truth. That was the mantra. I thought, what the heck is the truth? Mom, what do you mean by the truth? She could never explain. It was like, know the truth. So the truth of a cult is that it is authoritarian. It rules by humiliation and it rules by domination. That's the first thing. But it's very subtle. It doesn't start out that way. Usually what happens is there's a need in the person. And there's a need in the person that is a desire to be special. So a signal of a cult is, oh, you come into a group and you're special. You're special. (gasps) The girl has recognized you. You are special. You join our group and you'll receive either the love or recognition or the importance that you're looking for. So what happens is it's all about humiliation and submission. Now, wearing a nappy on your face, then going into a restaurant and taking it off and then putting it back on. If that isn't humiliation, it's, there's no common sense there. It's absolutely ridiculous. But certain people will defend it because the residual emotions of anger, frustration that they have to vent out in that particular situation. Human design is not about humiliation and submission. It's about self-love. It's about self-empowerment. So there's no way human design is a cult. Person can take that information and become a cult leader by saying, I know something that you don't know, and I'm going to interpret your design, and you don't have the power to do it. And that can happen. They can set up a whole tribal situation, but the knowledge itself is enlightened selfishness and self-love because anything else is a distorted bond and it's not going to function. That's the primary differentiation right there. And it's also becoming your own authority through your strategy, through your inner authority, where it's in the cult, there's an outer authority that knows better than you. And by God, if you don't follow it, then there's a problem. The cult is all about comparative thought. It's all about comparative thought. (gasps) You're in this cult. You're in our group. We are all complying with the girl and you're not. Oh, you have to be punished. You can't do this. You can't do that because you're not following the girl. You're not following the dictates of the cult. So what happens is that human beings are always comparing themselves to others. They don't want to be out of the group. They want to be in the group because being in the group gives them trade opportunities in the group. I can trade goods. I can trade services. I can go to your restaurant. I can do this. And I remember when I was in Greenwich, Connecticut, there was a restaurant called Love and Serve. It was a wonderful restaurant, but there was a whole book written by one of the members. It was a big cult. Sui Shun Moy. It's a big cult. And part of the cults, the other thing is, They separate you from people that you love. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. You cannot be with your family anymore because they are not followers of the cult. What, you're not vaccinated? Then you cannot. You have to tell your family members that uh, they can't come or vice versa. So there's a separation of you from families. There's also the, the domination and control of your sex life. I remember this one picture in Australia where two people were kissing with masks on. I was saying, okay, let's wait to see if they're going to say you can't sleep with someone. You know, I mean, it's like cults control your sex life because that's the creative force. So we have slow come in and usually they're solving a problem. A crisis is created. You come in and you think, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. But then you're signaled out. You have a crisis. You didn't know you had a crisis. A crisis is created. And the cult offers you a solution if you're in our group. Everything is going to be solved. Problems with your family, problems with your job. We'll solve it. Now, they will solve it to a certain point, but then there'll be a new problem. The cult leads you deeper, deeper, deeper into 
perceptual entrapment. Now they've got your mind, you're entrapped in these ideas and philosophies that you're weak. You can't make a decision outside of yourself. And there's always a big hatchet. It's not a hammer, it's a hatchet. They're severing you from your family. They're severing you from your internal sovereignty. They're severing you from the group and society. And you become very dependent on a cult. It's totally opposite than human design. But any body of information, science, medicine, philosophy, schooling, anything can be hijacked and put in a cult formation. And censorship is an aspect of a cult. So the censorship goes like this. What? You're disagreeing with a guru? You're disagreeing with what we're telling you? The authority is telling you is so? It's no-no. And so then you get into mind control. There is this one, quote, quasi-religious group, very powerful, and they set up this cult rescue network. The cult rescue network was really to pull them into the cult. I mean, it's so sophisticated. And there's a thing called clearing. You hold these cans and you just clear, clear, clear. What are you clearing? What the heck are you clearing? So much of this is pseudoscience. This is why human design can show you a certain imprint. Now, the limitations of human design is we don't know the conditioning. We know there's conditioning going on there, but we don't know exactly what the conditioning was. Now, you look at an astrology chart. If you see Pluto opposite the moon, you know, squaring Mars, we got a problem. You know, we're saying there could have been some sort of rape. A cult is soul rape. That's what I call a cult. It's soul rape. Mm. And cults tend to be totalitarian. And the other thing is they have two sets of ethics. Two sets of ethics. The leader gets all the cars, all the wealth, all the abundance. I like the World Economic Forum. They fly in and all these super jets with their fine restaurateurs, all these people helping them. And they're saying, okay, you're going to have nothing and be happy. That's a cult. It means that they have ethics that they don't go by. But the rest of us, the rest of the people in the cult, they're below human. Remember, even, I'm going to say this, fraternities can be cults because they begin to have a label and see this is what's important. Huge distinction between human design and cults is cults make you identify as a human being connected to an authority that makes you special. Someone knows better than you. Human design is connecting almost outside of the five senses to this decision-making process. You don't know where it's going to go. It's going to shatter your conception of who you are, who you think you need to be. And you're going to say, what the heck is happening here? So it's a shattering process that keeps you from needing to feed your identity. You're no longer, let's say I'm no longer Barbara. I'm something much more mysterious than Barbara that is not going to be under the umbrella of a finite authoritarian. I'm not going to comply with that. And it was interesting because cult leaders usually are, they're self-appointed and they're on a special mission. And you can enhance yourself if you're on this special mission. I'm going to say it like climate change, carbon dioxide. We need that. It's the gas of life. There's a whole nother cult misinformation going there. But if you're not a one, three or a five, one, you're just going to accept kind of how things are going. So if you look around, there are a lot of what we call two purposes to cults. If you just split down and it would be recruiting members, we've got to get more people believing this. We've got more people, you know, fighting this war. We've got to get more people here. But you know what it is? It's all about making money. So follow the money. Who made money during the COVID lockdown? Who declared that businesses were not essential and what businesses were? When this first was announced in February of 2020, this is very important. When you've been in a cult, you know the frequency of a cult. You know it because we're in a world of frequencies. It's like if you've been with a psychopath, psychopath can walk in the room and you know, holy mother, this is a psychopath. I'm staying away from this person. Other people say, oh, how do you know? He's so nice. All you have to do is say a psychopath is seamless in the way they work. You can't pick it up unless you've been at the hands of a psychopath. And so we've got this 
thing that happened in 2020. I knew that Pluto and Saturn were coming together. It was not going to be a happy camper year, but it was very interesting because I could feel the frequency was not what was being advertised. I said, this is not three weeks to prepare the beds. There's something more detrimental here. Let's see what happens. So what they do is they say one thing and they start moving the goalposts. That's what happens in a cult. And you go deeper and deeper and deeper. And what it is, it's a path to disempowerment. That's why it's a perceptual entrapment. The not self can be a perceptual entrapment. You know, you have an open sacral. You're in the perceptual entrapment when you're around generators. You have more energy than they do. So let's go out there and let's keep cleaning and doing and and just look at all the generators that go to bed and you're still working. Perceptual entrapment. So you look at someone's chart and they say, oh, you mean I don't want to use my energy that way? And you say, no, because you're blocking other things from happening. You know, the, the key thing is it's human design is not a, about a perceptual or conceptual goal that you have. I'm going to improve my life if I follow my strategy and authority with human design. You have no clue where that's going to take you. You have no clue. You have no clue. And the thing is that it's very tragic because human design has the key. And I'm not saying it's the key for everybody, but it came in in 1987. That was near, right before the harmonic convergence. But why did it come in then? Because we're hitting 2027. And the reason it's becoming viral is more people are saying, holy shit, look what's happening. Everything is breaking down. Globally, everything is breaking down. And people who are aware and awake are saying, who am I in relationship to the change and how can I navigate through? And even Ross said, he said, we're on the precipice of change and on the cusp of changes like this, there's enormous confusion. When people are confused, they are like seeking some sort of stability. And I remember one of Ross's classes, he said, there's no one you can depend on. There's no one you can trust. Now that's not comforting. I'm leaving. (laughs) I'm going to go suck my thumb and pull up a little blankie and forget it. But what he did say, the next sentence was, trust your way of making decisions because that's your armor. That's what will help you navigate through these very uncertain times. Now, when he came out with it, we didn't know. Most of us didn't know what would happen. You know, we could hear about it. It was exciting, but it was nothing like what we're seeing now. And so I would say that most people have to be aware that we are very vulnerable as human beings to being conditioned. When Bernays came over and applied, because he worked with Hitler, you know, Freud's nephew, he worked with Hitler and he trained mass psychology techniques so governments could control people. And don't think that's not happening now, guys. And so we're all being all being conditioned. We're all being put into a cult to think there's one way to see something and not one way. And when you have technology in the news, fifth column, just pushing this out over and over and over again, you become Goebbels, where he said, the lie big enough, people will believe it. Mm -hmm. So human design cannot possibly be a cult. It is about self-empowerment. It's about self-love. It is about knowing that you've got to have the courage to allow through your decision-making process, to have that self-conception of who you think you've been to be totally shattered. And I'll tell you, it's been totally shattered in my life. And even my siblings will say, whoa, as a child, most malleable, most easily conditioned. And now I'm (laughs) totally (laughs) lost. But it's because of, you know, for 20 years, really following my decision-making authority and trusting it. And I remember when Ra looked at me, he said, well, your life is interesting, but you got to give it all up. And I didn't understand what he was saying. See, that's the virus, John, because I was enthusiastic because I was in every new age thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is the next new age thing. Let me do this. But it hooked me. It hooked me immediately, but I didn't understand it. And I would say the seven years of deconditioning, because I'm completing my third session of seven years of deconditioning. Oh boy, do you see things differently? And there's something else in human design. Ra always said you respect the older people. Why? Because there's something involved in age that I've experienced every decade. It's just like 
It's like your body changes, but your perceptions change. You have, you have history. You can see things repeating themselves. And not only repeating themselves, you begin to have the wisdom to have a bigger picture, to connect all the dots and say, wait, this happened back then. Why did this happen back then? Oh, why in the 60s on the college campuses? Because I was on the college campuses in 1966. Why did they have zero population growth? Why did they say that the white people were the causes of all the uses of uh, resources on the planet? We've got to stop reproducing. We've got to put that in to get the birth control pill in for women. You begin to connect the dots and say, oh, it started back in the 60s. Then you look and say, oh, cross of planning, first line, mother, father. Oh, what is a tribe? What is a family? The last you know, years before this cross breaks down. And that's where cults really started. It was back in the 60s, breaking up the family. You can have a family outside of family. We've got the family of man. We've got this cult as the family. Know all your college friends, your family. So that was all being investigated, the first line, all being investigated. And now we're coming at the full graduation of the cults in the worldwide cult that we're experiencing right now. And that's kind of leading us into 2027, you know, where selfishness is coming in and the individual saying, I'm going to be self-empowered. I'm not going to be in this cult of authoritarian domination, listening to someone else. So that's, I could go on forever. That (laughs) That is my kind of overall viewpoint of no one, no one is impervious, is protected from being in a cult. It's part of the human psyche. It's part of the not self. Because I had so many friggin' centers open, I just merrily danced into a cult until the door was slammed. And I thought, holy, what is going on here? That's actually something I wanted to ask you about is this process of either breaking the trance or waking up or going back to the truth, as you were sharing with us earlier. It seems like a lot of people get into the situation where there's something like a sunk cost, like they're already this far in. I've already invested this much. I've already gone down this road and it's almost too much to reverse that or to back out or just say, hey, I was wrong or I misread this. Mm -hmm. How do you see that process or what was that like for you if you had a similar experience? Do do you want to know what's true or do you want to live something? It's very simple. I walked out on a very, what you would consider comfortable life. Lots of money, lots of meeting, a lot of very important people, but it wasn't my life. It wasn't my life. And what was important to me was to find out what was true. I think I was born that way. People have vested interests, but that's their ego. It's how people see them. They're more concerned about how people see them. What will they think of me? Not what's best for me. A lot of people make a Faust in deal with life. I'm a 2-4. I can turn. See, that's part of my imprint. I can turn. When I did this one cult intervention, there were 54 people in the room. I had facts that the guru had lied to them about who she was. She was extorting money. I had facts about all of that. But the brainwashing had been so intense that not one person left. And over the many years since then, they've all been destroyed. But it was the brainwashing. And I would say one thing, John, is that in a cult, there's an abandonment of reason and logic. There's a total inversion of it. And if you give up logic, you're screwed. Two plus two equals four. When you say two plus two is five, you better run. There's a real problem here. And when people give up logic, or you start talking to them and, and you give them a logical reason that can be validated. Oh, their eyes twitter. They look back in their head. I mean, I've done several interventions. It's very difficult to reach them because they're what they call triggers that are implanted in people with an emotional response. They just can't make it. It's like a two-year-old trying to talk to them about physics. You look at them. They're just, their brain can't process it yet. So my experience in cults is parts of the brain are traumatized and shut down. And so reason doesn't reach that. And right now, tell me, 
tell me why they're censoring information on masks. Why are they censoring information on damage to what's going on? Why are they doing that? And why are they coming out with things that make no reason? They don't make sense. But if you've got money invested into this, if you've got, as you said, John, a life invested into something that doesn't work, it's going to take enormous courage to step out of it. It was not easy for me to say it was easy. Is it would be lying. It was really traumatic, but it was what I would say the most exhilarating thing that I've ever experienced. And part of the experience brought me the exact opposite. In other words, I had been within this cult that was so detrimental. But then within a year later, I met Eckhart Tolle and sponsored him in New York and had this whole radical change and met Roth at the same time. So it was almost as though I had to have these extremes. So everybody's life is different. Mm-hmm. So if someone's God is money, it's tough. If someone's God is what people think of them. I remember there are these two people that were relationship gurus. They published a main book. This was many years ago. They wanted to get divorced. They decided they couldn't get divorced. It would really challenge their book sales and what they were teaching. This was always about how to establish a healthy relationship and love. And then how could they get a divorce? You know, bless them. Their goal was to have money, reputation, and they didn't want to ruin that. But I do have to respect uh, the woman who did Calling in the One You Love. Great book. Oh, I put six months later, I meet my true love. Then she wrote the book Conscious Uncoupling. Whoops. Guess it wasn't my soulmate for us consciously uncoupled. So at least she was honest, you know. I would say it's not easy. That's why Ross said not a lot of people will go with human design because it's so cunning for the mind to trick you into thinking that you're actually changing, but it's just a conceptual game you're playing. Mm-hmm. And this year I've seen many people that it's been a conceptual game. They've complied with things. And I'm saying, how can you do that? How can you comply? What's going on with you? I thought you were in human design. I thought you were your own authority. And the conditioning is still there. The conditioning is still there. I feel like you're naming something and the word that has been coming to me more and more is grooming. Process you're describing of what can happen when, because like you said, if you're dealing with a cult or if you're dealing with some kind of brainwashing or if you're dealing with a psychopath, It doesn't tend to come in right off the bat and hit you over the head with some bizarre requirements. It starts out nice, sweet, goodness. Three weeks. And then very slowly you get another, you know, just three weeks. Okay, now just this. Okay, now just a little more this way. And very slowly it can really groom people into suddenly finding now a year later, I am off the map of anything I would have accepted in the beginning, but I've been groomed. My mind has been slowly controlled little step by little step until it's gotten so far out of, outside of something that is reasonable or makes any sense. And I think that takes us to what you guys are talking about, where then to undo that, there's a kind of shock Because Mm -hmm. I think then also it would force us to look back and realize, oh my God, I got taken on this ride. I had no problem saying I got taken because I knew I had to realize that. And there are people that didn't realize that and they made excuses and their life still doesn't work because of it. But see, the, the key thing is, is psychologically grooming incorporates threats, incorporates threats. There's subtle threats. It's just like a parent and a child. You do this. And remember one mother said, he just said, I'm going to kill him. And I thought he's only a two-year-old. Why would you kill a two-year-old? But there's a threat in the grooming. It's like a mafia. You know, you're in the club. If you don't do this and you've got to prove yourself, there's steps along the way that you've got to prove that they've anchored the trigger and the threat into you psychologically. Because then they know they can go to the next step of grooming. Mm-hmm. And then the next step. And so it's a passage into fear and threats and ultimately humiliation. And so you lose your self-respect. You no longer have respect for yourself. That's why I look at some of these people. I say, where is your self-respect? Where is it? 
you're intelligent, you're capable, and yet you're complying to these idiots? We were prepared with idiocracy, (laughs) idiocracy. We've been prepared by Hollywood, who's hand in glove with this whole process, to dumb ourselves down and then quietly accept these threats. I love what you were saying, you know, in terms of the grooming process, because there's always threats subtly and then not so subtly. Uh, And I've seen in the cult that I was in some really horrific threats that were happening, but they were subtle. They were horrific in terms of the humiliation. And it's interesting that in this passage that we've been in for the past two years, it hasn't been run by doctors. It's been run by psychologists. And that's something interesting because a cult is all psychological and it's understanding. And you you look at DARPA and they know uh, how to control people with brainwave frequencies. Now we know in human design that we're looking at our frequencies. We're looking at a pattern of frequencies. And so we've got the neutrino streams coming from the sun. And then, so we're interpreting this information. You know, these are wave patterns. They're electromagnetic. We're interpreting them in an electromagnetic way. And then our brain is making a digital holographic image and sound, sight, whatever. And then as analysts, we're looking at the chart and we're interpreting how we're interacting with the world around us. DARPA knows that uh, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency in Washington, they know this. And back in 1980, when I went to the Monroe Institute, we were working with hemisphere synchronization. We had CIA people there to do remote viewing, to be able to, you know, use the power of the synchronization of the left and right hemisphere to either astral travel, leave the body, or to be able to communicate telepathically with people. We are dynamic beings who our potential is we're just tapping into. And that's why I love what human design can offer because it gives people the opportunity to see that they're perfect in who they are and they can experience this perfection unique to them as long as they respect the not self and understand how powerful that conditioning field has been. You know, Amy, I love the one, I keep going back to that grooming because in a way it, it's very powerful, you know, the triggers, the threats. But John, to your point, when people have this image in our society, success is what you accumulate, how people view you, how, you, how you're recognized, that if you tell people, I wasn't right, I've been had, oh, I really screwed things up, then you can be ostracized. And then you can be just rejected. And it's very difficult to come back from that. It is very difficult to come back from that. Because in order to come back from that, you have to have a way through. You've got to actually be able to see the way through that I can actually, this was not who I was. I'm going to let it go. And I can be something that can give me the satisfaction, the peace, the success, you know, the surprise that will really fulfill me in a way I never thought possible. But most people can't do it unless they have the hope or the vision, the creative vision. And I would say for me, it was so extraordinarily traumatic. I had no choice. (laughs) It was like I had no choice. But I tend to be a little extreme. You know, as a projector, you go deep into something. You just go deep. Seems like it's a big ask for most of us to let go of what we thought was real or true and to leap into the unknown Mm -hmm. and to let go of, say, a false sense of certainty about how the world works or how you perceive it. Most of us need something else to put in place, like something, another framework or another point of reference. It's kind of like if you're trying to break an addiction and stop smoking, well, start chewing gum or something. And maybe that can get you through this transition period or until you can stand on your own two feet. Do you see that element or dynamic playing out with people? That's where good leaders come in, role models. And there are leaders that are emerging, let's say, in our day and time. They're censored, but there are leaders emerging that are trying to get the truth out there. So working with clients and people, you know, my goal, and I'm sure it's with you and Amy, is to give them the power of their imprint to know this is who you are. This is who you think you are versus this is who you are. And then both of you become the example for your clients through your own story, 
through your own journey that it's worth the risk. It's worth the take. My best friend who I started this whole journey with, you know, she was a top psychologist in New York City. As soon as she understood what was going on, she quit her practice. She said, this is not working for people. I'm not really helping them. I'm just repackaging and stroking the not self, mm-hmm. the conditioning. And so, you know, she changed her life radically. She was on all three waves too. So it wasn't easy for her. Mm-hmm. She's on the 35, 36, the 12, 22, the 37, 40, but then she had the 952. So when Ra read her chart, because I was there, she just said, oh my God, you know, <laughs> all those ways. So it took her a while to get the clarity, but then she stopped the practice. Because to your point, John, she had a way through because she could see visually. She could see visually that it wasn't working and she could see where her strengths were. And I think that part of the work as an analyst is not to share some how much you know. I'm an analyst. I know something that you don't know. It's say, look, we've got a dilemma here. We've got a real problem. You haven't been who you really are designed to be that can give you the fulfillment that you're looking for. And this is the way through. And if you need help, give me a call. You know, in in four weeks, I'm here to help you because I've probably been through that. And that's what the idea of a good analyst is. It's not delivering the morning paper and disappearing. (laughs) It's being there to help. (laughs) Not a lot of people can do it. And I know, you know, being a mother, I'm very aware of my son's design. And I know there's certain limitations that he has, but I've been very careful in ensuring that he is always looking for what's true and accurate, not what makes him comfortable. Hmm. I mean, he hasn't had an easy life with me, but at least he's able to see more clearly what's really happening in his life. He's watching other people go into cults, And there are many new age cults out there that, oh, don't call them a cult. You're going to interfere with their revenue. (laughs) (laughs) Money is big. See, that's the other thing. If you have to stop your life and you're becoming someone else, you're you're going to lose a lot of money oftentimes. So you have to address that. There's something that's striking me because I've heard you mention your view on the 6124. And here we are, we've been in this sort of repetitive relationship with it collectively for Mm -hmm. quite a while now. I'm curious if you have something to say about how you see that playing out in this Mm -hmm. mass experience we seem to be having on a collective level. Yeah. I feel that it's essential to pull in the Uranus as well. Mm -hmm. You know, because Uranus is going to be going down that central channel, 27, 24, 2, 23, 8. And so Uranus is the great awakener and it's going all through Taurus, which is individuality when we have this big collective experience. So what's happening, which is beautiful, is this desire for people to know what's true. And there's a real pressure for most people to say, what's true and what's fake? So what's been the whole issue going on collectively? Is this true or is it fake? Are you censoring the truth? Or are you, you know, glorifying the inversion of the truth? And so I feel that it's really been a grace to wake people up, to really consider their lives from the perspective of what's true. What is the fundamental awareness of universal underlying principles that I need to know? A universal underlying principle is there are greedy psychopaths out there. (laughs) And that's part of the game of life, you know? And what's another principle? Well, everybody has a certain natural brilliance. And the truth can't stand alone. It has to collaborate. I love the, the third line, interdependence. The truth cannot stand alone. So you find groups that you can be strengthened by in this time when the individual is being attacked. Now, this is what's fascinating. We're in a time when the individual is being attacked, and yet we're moving into the sleeping phoenix where it's the rise of the individual. So so it's like, whoa, this is some ride. I got to tighten my seatbelt a little bit further, you know? So we look at that, and I think it's been essential and critical for the awakening of many people into what's going on. And then Uranus really slamming it by saying self-love, gate 27, enhancement. Through caring, caring about what, what's true, 
care about what's true and research it and act on it and then live it. Don't give it lip service. And then with that 24 up there, oh my God, over and over again, what's true, what's not. Gerbils, let's just keep putting the lie out there. Let's put the lie out there. And then people go back over it. Is this true? Is it not? Well, gee, I believed it in 2020, but now the fourth booster, that's bizarre, bizarro land. So you can begin to see now it's working. There are a lot of people that are saying no, who first said yes. So it's kind of grinding that 24. I like it. It just, it's like sea glass. The ocean comes in and just rounds the edges. And first it cuts, <laughs> then it rounds the edges. And then, you know, we've got Uranus moving into gate two, and that's the magnetic monopole, the made direction, and that's all about intuition. So we've got a lot of preparation dealing with limitation because we've got Pluto now in 60, or it's going back and forth between 60 and 61. So we've got limitation. So this whole individual circuitry is really being blasted open. And then this collective saying, oh, you must believe, you must be part of the group. And so for me, I feel it's like the opera of the, the tribal collective energy and the individual and just dancing back and forth. And as the individual awakens up more and more, if more individuals awaken, the collective becomes awake and few people cannot control it. You have to have a greater awakening. So I can see that when individuals awaken up to an outer authority trying to control them, they'll say, hell no, not going to go along with your plan. It's not who I am. And so I think the 6124, the timing is amazing. Yeah. Absolutely amazing. And then I look at all the babies being born. Oh my God. Since 2018, when the 360 started coming in, and then all the children that have gate 54-4, the Pluto in 61, my granddaughter has it in 61-2. And I'm just saying, oh great, we have a little mystic in the family. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's really preparing for this whole, this whole transition. And I think it's helping people get out of the cult that we're now in of believing that. So that's a great question. Yeah, I've been watching that with, with amazement to see that operating, particularly with Pluto activating it. Pluto and Uranus, when you think about that they're transpersonal, that they're forming generations, and that they are opposites, one's revolutionary and one's evolutionary, one's inexorable, and one is just there. And you put them together, we have the signature of the 60s again. You know, when Uranus and Pluto were together, they're together in the 6124 now. But it's, it's fascinating to just see that. So we're, we're in exciting times. Get some food. Chicken lines <laughs> 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 are, are getting, getting weak. <laughs> well, I guess as we sort of wrap this up, what you see coming, anybody who's been in human design for a while would have to have heard about 2027 and all of these uh, shifts and changes that Ra talked about for many years. Given the way things have been going these last few years, how do you see this, this coming cycle change now, which obviously we're, we're already in the middle of it, but mm -hmm. what do you see for this, this shift? You can certainly feel the shift. And we're in an asymmetric war, no question. I mean, I've started taking pictures with my camera, whether wherever I go, and it says, due to supply chain issues, we're limited on what we can offer, whether it's the coffee cups to go, or whether it's the ingredients to make a nice parfait, or whether it's, you know, whatever. I'm taking pictures of all of these because we're having whispers of what's already happening. And so, if we use the metaphor, cousin was in the Navy and he was instrumental in creating these depth charges. Let's put it that way. So I'll view it this way. Imagine you have a boat going across the sea. This is the cross of planning, trust, structures to develop skills and talents to keep people together in a community. We're moving across the ocean and all of a sudden we've been torpedoed. <laughs> Nobody knows it, but the boat is leaking and the boat's going to sink. But there's something new that we've never experienced before coming on. I don't think it's going to be traumatic, but I think the beauty of all of this 
is that the individual, the sleeping phoenix, is going to rise from the ashes of the old self and create something very new. But it's dependent on people not complying to idiocracy and to mandates that make no sense, that work against them. And it's people waking up to, you know, saying, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't add up. And saying, you know, I don't need to be part of a group that I'm in now. There's another group forming where people can be as I am. So what I see is that, okay, Southern borders open, weak leadership, ill health, fentanyl just coming through the country that's manufactured in Wuhan, by the way, coming through the cartels. So we're we're sinking fast. And so what each of us has to do is to be aware of what's really happening and following our individual insight to create communities because Ross said in the change you cannot do it alone you have to find the correct community not the one that you're in that might be undermining you and build communities based on awareness of limitation awareness of limitation so I'm kind of an optimist now because I was born in the 40s I remember fruit only in the summertime you didn't get oranges and I mean, you didn't get raspberries in the wintertime. And my mother had a cloth bag. She'd shop at small stores. We didn't have supermarkets. It was like ancient. No televisions. It was very different, but it was very human and very warm and very people helped each other. There was no technology. People talked. So we've gotten seduced into this world that we're told is progressive. And it's moving very fast. And I think it's going to change for the better, but it's going to be a radical change. But the key thing is, if people don't wake up and don't comply, then I think we have a technocracy that is very digital and is very totalitarian in the way that it's leading us. So people better wake up or the boat's going under. And as Ross said, we'll be around campfires. So I would say that people have to wake up that there are changes coming and it's all public. This is not conspiracy. You can find all this information. Most people listening to this podcast will say, yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. I know that because they've already awakened to it and they'll be the ones that carry it forward. And then I think one other thing, because human design is reincarnational body knowledge, death is something that oftentimes people worry about. They don't want to die. But the key thing is, is that we're eternal. That personality crystal is eternal. It's a design crystal that's limited. So we just come back. And so you do what's correct. You follow things that are correct and you build a better world. But not, how do they call it? Build back better? Hell no. Not that way. Big story. Mm-hmm. It's a few people and they're super jets and the rest of us eating insects. It's not the way. (laughs) (laughs) There's this allegory that keeps coming up for me. And I'm kind of curious if you've heard a version of it. The version I have is in India in older times, the, the trappers would catch monkeys with a certain approach. And what they would do is they would tie like a milk bottle to a tree with a string or a rope. And then they'd put a piece of food in the milk bottle and the whole of the bottle was just big enough for the monkey to squeeze its hand through and work its way in. But when it would grab the food and make a fist, it couldn't get its hand out, but it wouldn't let go of the food. And then the trappers would run up there and grab the monkey. I've always thought that was such a great metaphor for how we invest in mental or intellectual certainty. And like we were talking about earlier. Yes. When it seems like part of the process is just letting go of the food and you get away, you, you get your life. You're not going to remain trapped. All you have to do is let go of the food. But for some reason, we're grabbing onto the money, we're grabbing onto the resources, we're grabbing onto the social currency or whatever it is. And it's a big ask to let go of that one. I love that metaphor, John. That's a good one. Because we're not far from monkeys, killer monkeys, right? Right. (laughs) But it's interesting. Ross said there were two lines in the I Ching that were the most difficult. One was gate 32, line six, tranquility. The only thing that endures is change. And how do people accept the change? See, they need the certainty. 
one of the main things that Eckhart Tolle would say is everything is unstable. It appears stable, but it's not. That's why that metaphor that you just gave, it, it appeared their food was there. Yes, let's put it in. Let's put the hand in there, the monkey. I've got it. It's secure. It's good. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you're caught in change. You can't adapt. So that's kind of where we are now. I do feel there's a lot of correlation that as you become more yourself, you need less on the outside. Mm-hmm. You just need less. There's a greater richness on the inside, similar when you're saying all the projectors were around mm-hmm. and you were just hanging. There was an incredible wealth and sustainment and just reward by just being with each other. It wasn't about fancy clothes, fast cars. Those are nice but it's not the end game. Right. And it's not a substitute for the other. Yes. For it. Yes. No, that's beautiful. No substitutions in this game. Yeah. It's the real thing. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that always struck me about some of Ra's lectures on 2027, it wasn't even a, a lot of the things that he was describing in terms of the change, but that little part where he would say, you know, at some point, we might all actually find that the authorities, the so-called authorities won't actually take responsibility for you anymore. I feel like we're right now still in this part of it where there's this sort of last phallic thrust of authoritarianism that is really loud and really big. But Mm -hmm. when he said that, that at some point you might call and nobody comes. Or you might not have the mommy or daddy there telling you what to do every step of the way. And when that goes, where are you going to be? You know, and who who are you going to be with? And how are you going to navigate? So I love what you're saying about this. Get with the communities, get with the people that you can commune with, or at least see eye to eye with and have some sort of connection that is rooted in in some kind of truth that you can recognize for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess that's what brings a sense of optimism to me and where mm-hmm. we're headed, you know. Yeah. Beautiful, Amy, because that's exactly the direction that aware people need to go. Well, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for your voice. Thank you for speaking your truth and calling it like you see it. It's something that's not easy to find all the time. So we're really happy to get to hear your voice. And thank you for being with us again. Always my pleasure. Always my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. I know you're out there somewhere. Thank you for listening to the Human Design Collective podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please review us and share. You can find us at humandesigncollective.com and explore our course and workshop offerings at courses.humandesigncollective.com. Music for the Human Design Collective podcast is courtesy of Anders Parker. For more information, see the show notes. And please stay tuned for upcoming episodes on the same channel.